agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government has the government love. The government has the government love. The government Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I am joined once again by two, not one, but count them, two co-hosts, uh, Jay and Ryan. Guys, welcome back. Good to be here. Happy to be here, too. Thanks for having me. So because we had three people, and I think that really adds something to the discussion, we didn't get to as much as we might have otherwise done. And so we have a lot of things we want to talk about on this midweek show. And we'll start with uh, something we don't generally get into, a state election. The, this last, and last week, voters in Wisconsin went to the polls to elect a replacement for a seat on the state Supreme Court that will be open with the retirement of conservative justice Patience Roggensack, which, God, that's a great name. I love it so much. <laughs> she retires at the end of July. Now, like I said, we I don't know if we've ever looked specifically at a state Supreme Court election on the show, but this is a particularly important election. I mean, so much so that over $45 million was spent on it, which it ended with a pretty decisive, I would say, 11-point win for Milwaukee County Judge Janet uh, Protashevitz, the liberal candidate over conservative and former state Supreme Court Justice Dan Kelly, which flips the state's high court from conservative to liberal for three. Now, this means a number of things. Number one, it means that challenges to the state's abortion ban will have almost certainly a more sympathetic audience at the Supreme Court than they would have otherwise. And Wisconsin had a ban that's been in place since 1849, and it was triggered into effect like a lot of state bans after the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision. Another thing it means is that a majority on the state Supreme Court will probably be more sympathetic to challenges of Republican-friendly congressional districts which, by the way, received the grade of F for partisan fairness from the Princeton Redistricting Project and Wisconsin being only one of seven states with a failing grade from them. And in a state that's nearly evenly split between the two parties, the House delegation there is six to two Republican. And finally, uh, you know, in the wake of the 2020 presidential election, the Wisconsin Supreme Court upheld, while they upheld Biden's very narrow win there by a four to three vote with Justice Roggensack dissenting in that decision. But the thinking is, in the event of another especially close race, many on the left are concerned that, well, a conservative majority might decide differently. And so having one more left leaning vote on the court makes that almost certainly a lot less likely. So for all those reasons, pretty important election. Uh, Ryan, what do you think is the kind of lamestream legacy media blowing this out of proportion, you know, especially given that the conservative Supreme Court, uh, state Supreme Court upheld Biden's win. And honestly, even the most kind of really scrupulously fair congressional map would still just probably give Democrats one or two more seats than they otherwise would have had. Is this just Democrats just trying to find something to celebrate that's not really a big deal? <laughs> you know, trying to find light where it exists, right? Uh, no, I, I I think it's bigger than that. And I would say that uh, patients might be rivaled only by uh, Washington's nephew, Bushrod Washington. Ooh, Bushrod Washington. Uh, yeah. Bushrod, He was appointed yeah. to the Supreme Court in 1798. So just, just <laughs> letting you know, there's a little history there. But um, 
when we're looking at uh, Republican-leaning courts, especially in the past, um, if I'm teaching a class, I'm saying to students, but that's okay, um, because they're guarded by precedent, um, but there, and there are fences around them from prior cases, and not everything comes to them, and they are reactionary, and they have to look at the culture of the country and delay and decide if it's best for them. Um, I, I think that's going away. I think the same way that kind of apprenticeship in Congress where you're supposed to uh, sit for a couple terms and not say anything before you get involved, I think we're seeing that go away too. I think people are looking for um, responses that are more immediate. And I, I think this references back even to the um, abortion discussion that's going through the courts right now is that uh, the sit and wait and let it evolve kind of argument is is going away um to be replaced with let's move on this and reflect society's changes more quickly. Now, having said that, it could be both a good and a bad thing. I mean, you're looking at whoever's in charge. Whoever is holding the um, the key to the car is the one that will decide if it's going to be used for good or for bad. Um, and some courts have seen partisan changeover that has not affected the state. They've shown restraint. Um, they've decided that that things will happen on a delay there, but we've seen some other courts um, that are more than happy to side exactly with the governor, um, whether they're governor appointees or not, and then immediately move on it. So are we seeing a shift in the court system? I don't know. Are we seeing it in, in Wisconsin? I'm not sure, but if you're looking at a shift towards a conservative court, there are a lot of very small, subtle social issues that can still be passed to dramatically change a culture. So I, I think anytime you you flip over that way, and especially in a state where gerrymandering is so uh, prevalently ridiculous, I mean, I know that it, they won't pick up a lot of seats, but when you look at some of the districts and it, it doesn't even look like they're made according to rationality, you know, we're talking about AI, you know, if AI connect the dots, there you go. Um, so, I mean, I think it brings up a whole lot of big challenges. Um, and if they behave themselves, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but if they have judicial restraint and work according to the state, I don't necessarily see that there would be um, that much for an uproar. But if they take more of an activist position, I think it could. And that was a lot. So yeah, I'll, no, I'll no, no, and, and, and Jay, I'll kick it to Jay. No, sure. yeah, Jay, Jay, I want to frame the question a little bit differently to you to kind of pull back and maybe look at this a little more broadly. Uh, you okay. can make the case, and I'll make the the sort of Democrat maximum optimism case. You could say, well, okay, let's look back like five years. 2018, Democrats get a net gain of 40 seats in the House. In 2020, Trump loses the presidency. The GOP loses two winnable Senate elections in Georgia, which gives Democrats, you know, effective control of the Senate. Then in 2022, Democrats gain a Senate seat. And while they lose the House, they significantly overperform by historical standards. And now we have this Wisconsin, this sizable Wisconsin win for Democrats against a former state Supreme Court judge who played some kind of role in advising Republicans in the in the kind of election, uh, not election denial, but a path that Trump could potentially take to challenge this sort of thing. And so I'm wondering to you, is this a Well, first, do you see this as kind of like a plausible string of Democratic wins that mean something? And if so, is it a sign that the Republican Party needs to kind of pull back from the kind of angry populist Trumpist sort of thing? Uh, is that is that just hurting the party to the point where if it keeps on on this path, they're going to really start to feel it as I've argued, maybe they are already. What do you think? 
Yeah, no, I think I think the track record of Trumpist candidates has just been not good, right? And I I think at some point this does come down to to candidates. Um, and if if you look, the other weird thing um, in Wisconsin is this the same electorate that elected um, uh, a very uh, liberal leaning uh, Supreme Court justice also passed um, by initiative um, some conservative reforms, right? So it's almost like the the, the ideology, conservative ideology isn't necessarily the issue. Um, it is it is more the um, uh, the persona and the presentation and uh, the presentation and persona of, of the Trumpian sort of thing, which worked in 2016, uh, I, I don't think works anymore, especially not in places like Wisconsin, right? And 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 I would say even maybe more so in Ohio, um, uh, but I think across the, the the Midwest, right? I don't think you get that. Um, uh, and, and and again, playing in suburbs as well, I I don't. Um, you know, I think I think there was sort of that that Trump moment in 2016, um, which none of us really saw. Uh, but I, I I think, yeah, the candidate selection and just the frustration of, um, you know, in Trump's own words, sort of, you know, winners win. Well, well, look, uh, you know, you've, I think a lot of Republicans are, are looking at this and saying uh, Donald Trump has lost us the last uh, three or four elections. Um and and lost in in what could have been you know sort of given away right the last as you said were, what were winnable races uh, should have been winnable races um, uh, just through through bad candidate choice and and dumb dumb decisions and trying to relitigate the uh, the election was stolen kind of from me uh, if you had a cam- uh, a candidate who who campaigned on something like what passed in in Wisconsin about welfare reform. Um, uh, I would argue that now again you can't have a Supreme Court candidate obviously can't campaign on welfare reform, um, but it sort of goes to the same piece, right? Um, so I think part of its candidates also I would say Supreme, uh, Supreme Court elections are a little different, a little weird, um, in that there is this sort of um, one and nationally women are always always tend to do well uh, in them. Um, the number I've I've always heard is is it's like a, a built-in five-point advantage. At least that's you know the Ohio conventional wisdom uh, of any woman judge candidate running against a male judge candidate. Um, and, and I think particularly with the, the abortion issue, uh, I think you pull in some suburban women on that, that um, you might not pull in on other, um, uh, you know, policy and just you know, political elections. Right. So um, I, I look at this as a medium deal, right. It's, it's not nothing. Um, uh, but I'm not, I'm not inclined to read into that. Um, uh, you know, the whole national implications. Uh, can, if I could kick in just for a sec there, and and I, I agree with much of what Jay had to say. Um, I think I would have exception to including Wisconsin as and across the Midwest, they may be pushing back from kind of Trump candidates. I, I think Wisconsin, a hundred percent true. Minnesota, probably true too. But those two have been always uh kind of outliers given being thrown into the Midwest. I mean, Minnesota's always been weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, it, it's the home of Jesse, the mind Ventura. And I mean, you get all these, uh, it's experimentation in politics, which I don't have a, a problem with. That's how we come up with new things. But in the Midwest, once you move beyond that, that's where I think it raises a much more of a problematic issue. Because when you are looking at the Dakotas, 
in Nebraska and Kansas and Oklahoma and Texas for a certain to a certain extent and and the rest of them they are they're choosing a candidate over um positionings um so when we would look at the in Wisconsin yeah they might have uh, the ability to discern and say okay we're not just having everybody come in on on Trump uh, coattails anymore this is a differentiation we'll see what happens in the future i think in those states um they are still wholly uh, in the Trump camp um, and having just driven through there, you know, recently, there are signs everywhere that, you know, thank God for Jesus and Trump. Um, just saw one yesterday for, you know, Trump and Ivanka 2024. So uh, I, I think there are um, a lot of people still in there where that carries, uh, but but not sure in those bigger states, Wisconsin and uh, especially because they've tended to move differently in terms of, of thinking about issues, I think. Right. And, and stay in Midwest states that have bigger urban centers. 100%. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Yep. yep. 100%. And that, that's the biggest challenge there, too, is that uh, they used to joke in Nebraska that um, the football stadium for the Cornhuskers was the largest city in Nebraska on game day. Um, and it was not a joke. <laughs> it's the second yeah. largest. You know, you have Omaha and then you have the, the Husker Stadium. So, yeah, you're right. It, it has a lot to do with the concentration of, of population. So yeah, one thing, one other thing I wanted to raise was, well, I'll, I'll explain how this ties in, I hope. But in his concession speech, uh, Kelly, it was, it was a pretty strong speech. At one point, he said, I do not have a worthy opponent to which I can concede. This was the most deeply deceitful, dishonorable, despicable campaign I have ever seen run for the courts. It was truly beneath contempt. And he, and he said, my opponent is a serial liar. She's disregarded judicial ethics. She's demeaned the judiciary with her behavior. And this is the future that we have to look forward to in Wisconsin. Now, putting aside whether or not he's right about that, and plenty of people on the right would agree with him, it, it made me wonder about judicial elections. Uh, we've talked about yep. this a little bit, you know, I, and I'm wondering, is this an argument perhaps against electing judges? There are 38 states in which uh, in which uh, Supreme Court judges are chosen through elections. And, you know, some have term limits, some have mandatory retirement ages, that sort of thing. But And according at least to one estimate, nearly $100 million was spent on state judicial elections in 2020, which is the last year for which I think they had full data. And so, Ryan, I, I want to get your take on this because I know you are concerned about the increasing vitriolic partisanship, uh, and, and we see this in judicial elections as well now. And, and what do you think? Is this a, is this an argument against judicial elections, or maybe not so much? So I, I don't want to go uh, to the point where I, I think that our judicial system should go without the elections and rely wholly on appointments, because I think that we could put as many negatives in an appointment box as we probably could in an election box. Um, I think it's more about what is being discussed in these elections. Um, we would always joke about how do you run for office if uh, you're the court for juvenile or you're the, the uh, judge for juvenile drug court? Um, you know, what, what do you put out in your ads? Do you, I just did it better. I, you know, and it, we have this with a lot of elected officials in, in some places it's a corner, you know, how do you, what do you run for an ad, uh, yep. to say you do it better. Right. And so what these ads have usually come down to, especially when looking at Supreme court races have been individual positions on enforcement of law. This is what I enforce. And, and largely it's almost like 
those old FEC regulations where um, influence groups could, you know, go after a candidate but couldn't explicitly endorse another one because it, it just feels like uh, they will talk uh, correctly in their ads and deal with issues with which the uh, their constituents will be facing, but they didn't go after personal attacks or hook on to national stars. And I think that all disappeared completely once um, the judicial system saw that, that coattails could be valuable. And I think that's incredibly, incredibly where the danger lies, is that we will see, one, judicial ads, which I think there's a tremendous issue for them if they're not just purely informative, but two, as there's no regulation on campaign ads in general, um, they could put out whatever they want. And so I, I don't want to say that private elections are a negative thing for the court system, but I think there has to be some kind of ability to differentiate with what should and should not be discussed. Because if all bets are off, uh, it'll devolve right into what we saw with the presidential election where, you know, 80% of the things they debate are personal attacks and they don't even get into the meat of an issue. Yeah, I, I guess my particular concern, I see the value in judicial elections, uh, at least some of the value. Uh, and I think you're right that there, you have other issues with appointments. But I guess my particular concern is with Supreme Court elections, because there are plenty of state Supreme Court elections that can't be appealed to the federal courts. And so while in general, I think it's important to not have partisanship in judicial decisions and not letting money and reelection influence judicial decisions, I think that's especially important at the state Supreme Court level, because a lot of those just can't be appealed and that's it. And so I guess that's where that's where I sort of struggle. Jay, what do you think about that? So, uh, wow, that's a that's a big question. And we could do a whole show or two shows yeah. on, on that. Yeah. Um, can I, I I will like point of personal privilege, share a an anecdote, which is like a six degrees of separation type thing. Um, uh, there is a, a school in, in Ohio that uh, sponsors brings in a lot of uh, speakers, conservative speakers, particularly from across the globe. Um, and uh, uh, one of them was Margaret Thatcher. And my former boss, uh, uh, who was, you know, helped set this up, um, <clears throat> was riding with Margaret Thatcher uh, from the airport down to the, the, the school. Um, and as they're driving, she sees uh, these signs about elect so-and-so judge. And she asks uh, my, my, my boss, like, you, you, I'll, you know, don't elect, you don't elect judges here, do you? And he said, well, yes, yes, we do, state judges. And Margaret Thatcher responded, Oh, absolutely awful. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there from from uh from Margaret Thatcher to uh, uh to my boss to me to you. Um uh but no, I I I'm of, of the opinion that yeah, this is a a there's no great solution one way or the other. Um I think there are there are disadvantages with appointed judges uh and there are uh disadvantages with elected judges. Um, and in a weird kind of way, I'm almost, I've sort of reconciled myself to this, the joint sort of system we have, right? At least where, where I live, where state judges are elected and federal judges are appointed. Um, so you get sort of like the, the best and, and worst of both worlds, I guess. Um, the other thing that, that Ryan kind of points out, um, and I've, I've run a couple judicial campaigns and advised people on judicial campaigns, um, 
is there's there's also the judicial canons that you have to follow when when running for office, which can vary from state to state. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as, as Ryan says, basically prevents you from taking any position on any issue. Um, uh, so you can you can generally you know be top on crime or or against crime um, as a judge. Uh, you can run ads where you you know you you talk to a lot of people wearing law enforcement uniforms, um, <laughs> which is you know important. Yeah. Um, you know, you, there's a lot of video of you like a bang and a gavel or something like that, which, uh, you know, in, in real life never actually happens. Um, but, um, yeah, there's, there's not much you can do. So a lot of it, it does come down to one, either name ID, um, uh, or, or partisan. Now, now the difference in Ohio, we actually changed the law just last election cycle. Uh, it used to be judges were elected, but there was no partisan identification. Uh, with them um now that's that's changed um uh i don't know i i don't know that it's it's I, it's too early to tell like has that made an impact on the judiciary i don't think it has i think sort of the same people who won and lost would have won and lost anyway um uh so the but the but anyway there's this this weird um uh, thing of of you can run for judge but you can't campaign which is which is sensible um in terms of also you know dealing with other national figures again this you know the rules are going to vary from state to state uh in ohio you you are prohibited from um uh making sort of uh, political endorsements the judge can't make political endorsements i think a a legislature could make a judicial endorsement but but it gets it gets complicated um and you can't use legislative money for judicial campaigns and and so forth so there are a whole lot of rules. I guess my where, where I end up on this is, um, again, this this is sort of a you're never going to get a perfect system. Um, I haven't seen, um, in most cases, a quick turnaround one way or the other. There was there was a big fight, um, Mike. You may remember this in the early 2000s over the Ohio Supreme Court, where there was a sharp ideological divide, and it wasn't even partisan. Um, what you had, you had, you had two Republican justices who, who consistently voted, uh, with the more liberal, um, the, the Democrat, uh, Democratic majority or Democratic judges. Um, and, you know, there were, you know, there were, there were a whole lot of decisions, a lot of having to do with insurance law and this kind of things that uh, aren't terribly sexy, but, um, were a big deal because they meant a lot of money to a lot of people. Um, so there were there were yeah big some big fights there, but then it kind of mellowed out for like about a good twenty years or so. Um, so I think it just kind of comes and goes, right? I, I I'm not I I don't see at least, um, and maybe where Ryan is, uh, it, it's he sees it differently, but I don't see necessarily a across the board escalation in partisan rhetoric, mm-hmm. um, in judicial, uh, you know, and actually again, in Ohio, it's it's hard to say that. Um, um judges typically vote by party because they they tend not to especially the longer they get into their term um we had a a you know republican uh chief justice here in ohio who who sided with uh the democrat um elected democratically elected judges um to throw out ohio's uh voting maps like three or four times um and you had Republicans in in the the state house trying to impeach the Republican chief justice and and so forth. So I I don't know that that uh, party 
governs all, right? I think there's there right. is more ideological thing, and there is there is some some judicial independence. Now, again, your mileage is going to vary from person to person and state to state, but I'm I'm, I'm I guess I'm 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 unhappy, uh, uh, but but content. We hope you enjoyed this preview of our supporters exclusive midweek show. If you'd like to hear the rest of the episode, we hope you'll consider becoming a supporter. Supporters get ad-free access to all of our shows, membership in our Politics Guys Discord group where you can join in on the conversation, and other benefits at different levels of support. To become a supporter, go to patreon.com slash politicsguys. You can also support us through Venmo or at politicsguys or through PayPal. You'll find all of our support links in the show notes as well as at politicsguys.com slash support. And if you'd like to get the midweek show, but you're not in a position to become a financial supporter, that's not a problem. Just send me an email at mike at politicsguys.com, and I'll be happy to get that set up for you.